get over here closer so I can reach out and touch them occasionally. Anybody need a handout? Anybody? LaVanda didn't get a handout. Anybody else? All righty. Well, we are officially in the Christmas season, so we're singing some songs that are Christmassy and then getting ready for it. The decorations are going up and the colors are looking good and we're going to have a, a great Christmas season. Amen? All right, looking forward to it. So this evening, I'm, I'm glad you came back this evening. We have just about as many people this evening as we had this morning, which is a good looking group this evening. But anyhow, I gave you a little handout and what I want to look at is three passage of scripture, one's just a verse, but in two passages of scripture, one of them will be kind of geared toward the Christmas season, but it's only because they all have a, something in common. And so we're going to look at some things that are in common with these different verses of scripture, different people throughout the Bible. Some of these are the, are the same thing that has taken place, but I want to look at three specific ones. And so I, I titled this message in this study this evening, The Secret of Availability. Now, you know it. We didn't. We had uh, Christmas. I mean, Thanksgiving uh, community gathering get together last Sunday. But two weeks ago, if you remember back, we did the secret. I did one. It was the secret of humility. Two weeks ago in the evening service, we were looking at God's word and what He had to say about the secret of humility and how we serve. And then, and, and we even go back before that. I tied humility with some different things like compassion and availability. And, and obedience, all these are things that tied together. Humility is the key way that we serve God and other people. And boy, it, we have been feeding that steady for a while as far as service, servant ministry, the way that we serve, how we serve. Humility is how we serve God and how we serve God's people. And you can't serve God if you don't serve God's people. And so that's some things that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. Now, God is looking for humble servants who are available for service. So here's the question, and I put these two questions on your paper for you to look at. God's looking for humble servants who are available for service. So here's the question, and the questions are always directed at self. We always ask ourselves these questions. I ask myself these questions, and I want you to ask yourself these questions. What's your availability? That's the first question. What's your availability? Where would you rank it on a scale of 1 to 10 One being little to no availability, 10 being superior availability. Where would you put yourself on that scale of 1 to 10, I'm available, and I would give myself a 6, or I'd give myself a 4? What would you think, and this is just strictly self-availability, or here's the second part of the question, are you even available? Are you available to serve? Are you strictly just going through the motions? Are you strictly just coming and and sitting in church? Are you strictly getting anything out of it as far as you're not putting anything into it? But what's your availability? Are you even available? All right? God's looking for humble servants who are available for service. Now, is the answer to these questions, yes, I'm available, but I need to work it around my schedule? Mm, That's a good one to think about. Yeah, I'm available, and I can serve but I'm going to have to look at my schedule. I'm going to have to check my schedule to make sure I can fit it in around. The service ministry thing is going to be kind of difficult. i got to get it in my schedule. I need to make sure that I have enough time for this service that God wants me to do. All right, here's another one. If this answer is, yes, I'm available, but I don't know what to do. 
I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to fit in. I don't know how I'm going to plug in or what I'm supposed to do. But, yeah, I'm available. If you make yourself available, God will take care of the rest. Amen? All you got to do is make yourself available. All right? We talk about that steady. Availability is what God's looking for. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. All right? He qualifies the, the called. All right? God will take care of the rest. The Bible tells us that we, if we're going to serve God, we have to make ourselves available to God. All right? So let's look at a couple of things and move on. We're going to get into that passage in just a second. God is not going to grab you by your hand. These are things I just looked at. He's not going to grab you by your hand and pull you in one direction. He's not going to put his hand on your back and push you in another direction. He's going to call you and expect you to follow. Okay? What did Jesus say? Follow me. He didn't say, I'm going to push you in this direction. He didn't say, I'm going to make you do this. He said, follow me. Come and see. These are all things that that Jesus said to us and what God wants. He's not going to make you do anything that you want to do. He is waiting for a willing heart. Now, the Bible gives us some clear indications of Isaiah's response in his service to the Lord. And this is important. When we look at Isaiah and his response to when God called him into service, and it's, it's just one verse of Scripture. It's a significant verse of Scripture, though. Now, you can read above it and past it, but this is very specific. Let's look together at Isaiah 6, verse 8. Now, let's focus on this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking. He wasn't telling. He wasn't pushing. He was asking. All right? I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who should I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. I know we've all heard that verse of Scripture. We've all heard about that, Isaiah's response to that. And it's strictly, when you look at this verse of Scripture, you don't see any conversation about, I need to check my schedule. I need to make sure that I'm available. I need to make sure that this is something that I can do, that I've been trained to do, that I'm going to be able to accomplish. Basically, he said, here I am, send me. Isaiah reveals to us that the nation needed the Lord. When he's talking about this, he said, the nation needed the Lord. And Isaiah was going to be the messenger for the Lord. And let's look at that. Let's look at this. And the Lord wanted a servant to minister his people. Well, let's look at this. The nation needed the Lord, and the Lord wanted a servant to minister his people. When I go over here and look at this, think about it. So what I want you to think about. The nation needed the Lord, and the Lord wanted to, to, uh, someone to serve, to minister to the people. Do we see that same thing today? Does this nation need the Lord? Huh? Does, the, does God, is he calling people into service today because this nation needs the Lord? Yes, he is. Absolutely. And that was why that verse of Scripture stood out so much to me. You know, the secret availability. Isaiah knew that the nation needed the Lord, and he made himself available. Scripture was then in the Old Testament, and it's just as relevant today in 2023. It's going to be just as relevant in 2024 and beyond. Isaiah volunteered to be that servant. He did not discuss his call with the Lord the way Moses did or the way Jeremiah did. All of them had excuses. They all had things that they wanted to negotiate with the Lord before they did what he asked them to do. You know, Moses said, I, I can't speak plain. You know, I stutter a little bit. I, I just don't have what it takes to, to do what you're asking me to do. Same thing with Jeremiah. I need to see some proof. Even, even Gideon, you know, I've got to see some things that take place to make sure that I can do what it is you're asking me to do. All right? 
He didn't do that. He accepted the appointment and made himself available to the Lord. Man, when God calls you to be a Christian, accept the appointment and make yourself available to the Lord. When God calls you into any type of Christian ministry, make yourself available and be willing to do what he he calls you to do. Now, as Christians, we should never underestimate what God can do with one willing servant. And that's the thing. You say, well, I'm just one person. You know, I can't impact the world like Billy Graham did or like C.S. Lewis did or like D.L. Moody did. I can't impact the world. Well, the thing is, do you know who led D.L. Moody to the Lord? Anybody? Yeah, well, he impacted the world, and he was a one-person shoe salesman, led D.L. Moody to the Lord. All right? All right, as Christians, we should never underestimate what God can do with one willing servant. There's an even greater need for labors today, and we are, have a tremendous opportunity in sharing the gospel into a lost world. Scripture says this, the harvest is great, but the workers are what? Few. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now, my question to you this evening is, are you one of God's willing volunteers? You know, I like to ask questions. I like for you to think about it and probe you a little bit and let you think about it. Are you one of God's willing volunteers? Do you want to serve with a servant's heart? Do you want to have credit for yourself, or do you want God to get the credit for what you do? All right. During the Christmas season, we always take a look at Mary's life, and that's understandable, you know, because that's the, the mother of the birth, uh, the Savior of the world. And just look at a few things with Mary, and we're going to get into that passage. This teenager who would become the mother of Jesus Christ, Mary the mother of Christ. We reflect on the fact that this young girl experienced Gabriel standing right in front of her with a strong statement and some critical information for her that was going to change her life forever. Can you imagine what a young teenage girl, an angel stands in front of her and starts telling her things that seemingly are significantly impossible? How is she going to respond? Let's just take a full-grown adult. Angel steps in front of you and starts telling you that things are going to happen, that you say, there's no way that can happen. Can you picture that? Do you have that in your mind? Well, then take it back to someone who has minimal experience, minimal maturity. You know, she was very mature for her age, but yet there's still a lot of growth that needs to take place. But when you think about it, Gabriel stands right in front of her and gives him some critical information. Now, God was about to change her. Here's something that, that I have been talking about since the day I got here. God was about to change her from something that she was into what? Something he wanted her to what? To be. God's going to change her from something she was, a young teenage Jewish girl who most likely would have married and had children and, and been in poverty the majority, if not all, of her life. That was, the, that was what was most likely headed, headed her path. But God's going to change her from what she was to something he wants her to be. And that's what I want you to look at in every single one of these verses. And then we look at that same thing when, when we're called, when God calls us and, and we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, he changes us. When you look at Jesus Christ, when he called Peter, when he called Andrew, when he called all the disciples, he changed them into something that he wanted them to be, all right? And their life was changed forever. All right? Now, even though this was some overwhelming information and a little difficult to comprehend how this would even take place, Mary's response was that of, and here's two words I want you to to take to heart. It was that of obedience and that of availability. 
That was her response. That was her reply. All right? Now, what I hear God saying is, I'm going to do the impossible, not because it is impossible, but because I'm possible. Does that make sense? I was going to get Jason to put that up on the screen. But if you take the word impossible and you move the words I, the letters I and, and M over to the side, it changes it from impossible to I'm possible. And that's what God is saying. Not because it's impossible, but because I'm possible. And with God, all things are possible. Now, Mary made herself available after she received this revelation of God's message. So let's look at it together. It's a lot of scripture. But let's look at it together. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. All right. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greetings this was. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with the Lord. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even, in her, even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is, who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Since I am the Lord's servant. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. Here we go. May it happen to me. Just as you have said, then the angel left her. And that's a critical verse, verse 38, all right? May it happen to me just as you have said. Now, Mary's response to Gabriel reveals us her humility and her honesty before God. She was a, a, a pure individual young lady, all right? And it reveals her honesty before God, her humility before God, her obedience before God, and her availability. It reveals the availability to serve the Lord the way that he wanted his people to serve. That's the way he wants all of us to serve. This is what, what it's showing together, all right? Now, I don't imagine that Mary was expecting the angel of the Lord to appear before her that night. I mean, I don't think it had ever happened before, nor had they ever thought about it, and I don't expect she was expecting it, much less give her the information that he had given her. When you think about it, she was probably... Uh, planning to do something else. I don't know what time of the evening or the day it was, but I don't expect she was planning to see uh, an angel step before her. Now, Mary's believing response was to surrender herself to God as his willing servant. So here's some things that are important, and I'm pre these are on your thing. These things that Mary experienced, I want you to remember these things. These are important. Based on this passage of Scripture, this is what you gain out of that. She experienced the grace of God. And God's mercy upon her, she experienced the, the grace of God, all right? She believed the Word of God. Therefore, she could be used by the Spirit of God to accomplish the will of God, amen? That's everybody. That's all of us. This is what God wants to do for every single one of us. Now, there's never going to be another uh, Savior of the world. Come on up here, Davis. If you don't help a brother out. 
Isn't it great to see children in church? I do too. Children in church just excite me. But go back to these things that these four things that I put them on there for a reason because this is not just Mary's encounter with Gabriel. This is God's encounter with Christians. This is God's encounter with believers. This is what God wants to do with each of us. He wants to, to give us the grace of God. He wants us to experience the grace of God. He wants us to believe the word of God. He wants us to be used by the, the Holy Spirit of God to accomplish his will for what he wants. And we've talked about the steadfast, all right? All right. Let's move on to Romans 12, 1. And that was an, an added on verse here. Let's look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And that's the same thing we talked about this morning when we talked about discernment, so that we know the differences between things. That we know what God wants us to do. We know the difference between right and wrong, all right? God's not going to give us a situation similar to Mary to deal with because there's never going to be another birth of the Savior of the world, all right? It was a once-in-a-lifetime birth, and it was a once-in-a-lifetime gift. It was a once-in-a-lifetime sacrifice. There'll never be a need for another one. So it's not going to be an exact same thing that God did for Mary that he does for us. Excuse me, but he will do other things for us, all right? God continues to call people into service for his mission every single day. The North American Mission Board, the International Mission Board, once a year when they have their conventions, they commission people to go out into the mission field. God's calling people into the mission field every day. God calls Christians into the mission field every day. Local missions, uh, North American missions, maybe a week or a weekend, or even extended period of times, but he's still calling people into the mission field every single day. All right, Christians are, Christians are called into service ministry. Now, I want to look at one more, and, and I want you to think about this. As we talked about Isaiah, we talked about Mary, now we're going to talk about another really key figure in the Bible. They all have the same thing in common, and that's what we're going to talk about when we get into it. All right, The life of Saul who became the Apostle Paul. All right, let's look at this whole passage of Scripture, who was saved on the road to Damascus, and in the same chapter that was, he was saved on the road to Damascus, we look at, recorded his salvation, and we read this. Let's look at Acts 1, correction, Acts 9, 1 through 9. Let's look at that together, because I want you to think about it now as we work through this, the similarities of what we just talked about with Mary, the similarities that we talked about with Isaiah. All right, Now, Saul was still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest. He's still Saul, okay? He's still seeking to kill Christians, and he requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, which was Jesus Christ's ministry, all right, that he might bring them in as prisoners to Jerusalem as he traveled, and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why have you persecuted me? Or why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. 
But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground through his eyes, though his eyes were not open, though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink anything. Look back at that verse of scripture, all right, in verse 5, where the first thing that Saul says is, Who are you, Lord? When you think about Saul's ministry of persecuting Christian, Saul thought that he was serving who? Who do you think he was serving? God. Saul thought he was serving God. And so he says, Who are you, Lord? Or who are you, Lord? All right, and let's go over here and look at this again. All right? So, where did I find it at? For three days, all right, verse 8. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing for three days, all right? You think about it. Why, did, why could he not see for three days? Why did God blind him so they wouldn't see anything? I want to get his attention, and he wanted to be dependent on him, all right? Took away all the distractions. There's nothing to distract him now. It's strict. I mean, you close your eyes... And you rule out all the distractions. You still making hear and see, or you making hear, but you can't see. So he's taking some distractions away from him. He's going to have him focus on him. All right. He's going to have him get his attention. All right. Saul found himself most likely face down on the ground. That's what it said in the scripture. He fell to the ground. And I can only imagine, just like when Jesus was prostrate on the ground praying, I can only imagine that when Saul hit the ground, you know, he's blinded by the light that he hit the ground. All right, and he's on the ground. All right, it was not a heat stroke or some epileptic seizure or anything that you might have heard over the years that put him there. It was a personal meeting with Jesus Christ. All right, now I got to tell you, when Jesus Christ came into my heart, he didn't put me on the ground, he didn't blind me for three days. Praise the Lord. All right, but I wasn't killing Christians either, so there's a big difference there. But it's still, it was a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, scripture says. At midday, he saw a bright light from heaven and heard a voice speaking his name. Saul made a significant discovery that day. And this is an important thing. Here are the discoveries, and I wrote these down for you. There's two things that are very important of Saul's discoveries and what took place that day. To begin with, here, he discovered to, to his surprise that Jesus of Nazareth was actually what? Alive. He wasn't dead. He saw him crucified. He saw him put in a tomb. But he wasn't dead. He was alive. That's the first critical thing that, that Saul recognized, all right? This Jesus is speaking to me. He's alive. Now, if Jesus was alive when Saul had to, then Saul had to change his mind about Jesus and his message, all right? He had to repent, all right, which was a difficult thing for a self-righteous Pharisee to do, but that's exactly what he had to do. Now, we look at repent. The word repent means to change direction. It means to change leadership, to make someone else in charge. Where it used to be I was in charge of myself, now the Lord's in charge, all right? See, uh, see the things through a different perspective. And that's what he's talking about when repent, all right? Now, Saul discovered that he was a lost sinner who was in danger of the judgment of God. Those are incredible, critical key things about Saul as he is converted to Paul on the road to Damascus, all right? All of his values changed. Now, tell me, did God change Saul from what he was to what he wanted him to be? Yes? I'd say it louder. I couldn't hear you. Yeah. 
Man, that he, it was a radical change. Saul to Paul, all right? All right, they changed from what they, he thought he was doing for God. He thought he was serving God. He changed from what he thought he was doing to what he ultimately did for the Lord through his service ministry. And we talked about that from this morning in Philippians. Man, from what Saul, for the next 30 years, what Saul is going to do as far as a 180 from what he was doing, all right? He was a new person because he trusted Jesus Christ. He was changed from what he was to what God wanted him to be. Now, the Lord had a special work for Saul to do. Even when Saul was persecuting Christians, God knew that he had a work for Saul to do. That he knew that he was going to change him on the road to Damascus. That there was going to be a significant change. Even though he, what he was doing was tormenting, shackling, and chaining Christians and persecuting Christians... He knew what he was going to do for Saul. Now, there's some change that took place. The persecutor became a preacher, all right, who would write some 30 years later. Here's what he said. And 30 years later, Paul wrote this down, that Christ had apprehended him on the road to Damascus. Paul was apprehending Christians. That was his mission. That's what he was doing. He was on the road to Damascus to apprehend Christians, and he said Christ apprehended him on the road to Damascus. When Saul was out uh, to arrest others, the Lord arrested him. All right? His conversion experience is like no other because sinners today certainly are not going to hear the voice in this manner. They're not going to be blinded by heavenly light. But God still speaks to us today. He still speaks to us through what? Through the Word. He speaks to us through the Word. He speaks to us through creation. He speaks to us through the miracles of birth, the miracles of childhood. He speaks to us through the beauty of nature. He still speaks to us today. He still speaks in that still, small voice. But God still speaks to us today. If we study his word, he speaks to us. When we pray and intercede back to him, he's he's communicating with us, all right? The salvation of Saul is certainly a great encouragement for each of us. And this is the reason, because Saul was known as the chief of sinners, all right? And if the chief of sinners could be saved... Surely anybody on this planet can be saved. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what they've done, doesn't matter what's going on in their life. If God can change Saul into Paul, he can change anybody to what he wants them to be. All right? It took a significant uh, transformation to change Saul into Apostle Paul. Uh, it took the Lord stopping him right in his tracks and just putting the brakes on him. But the bottom line is here's the thing about Paul is that Paul made himself available to the service of the Lord, just like Isaiah did, just like Mary did. Saul made himself available to the service of the Lord. Now, the thing about all three of these people and others in the Bible is they weren't fighting or resisting the Lord. They weren't trying to make up excuses. They weren't trying to say, well, okay, Lord, I'll do it if. They didn't put any kind of disclaimers on it, all right? They all made themselves available to the Lord. They were saying, Lord, here we go. What do you want me to do? That's just this bottom line. What do you want me to do? And that's the question we should be saying. Lord, what do you want me to do? God is looking for willing, serving hearts and hands with the response saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Now, if we are to serve the Lord, we must make ourselves available to him. All right? I'm about done, so just hang in there with me. One of the things that gets in the way of serving the Lord is somewhere along the way, we discover that serving the Lord is hard work. And it's difficult, and it's hard work, and it's not always easy. It's not always glamorous, but it's hard work, and it involves serving other people. Now, 
You can't serve the Lord if you don't serve other people. All right? And here's the last thing I'll leave with you. Serving God equals serving people. All right? Any questions? Y'all with me? I didn't put y'all to sleep, did I? All right. All right. Well, if you have no questions, I'm going to pray and close this out, and then I'll leave time for choir practice. All right? When, when, well, when an angel appears in front of you, the first thing he's going to do is startle you, wouldn't you think? Exactly. First words out of their mouth is, is fear not. Do not be afraid. You know, it's a comfort. They're, they're bringing good news and they're, they're God's message. It's... Well, their appearance, because the thing is, is we don't, what, what does an angel look like? What do you think an angel looks like? An angel can take any form that God wants them to take. They're not flying around with wings on their back, best I can tell. But, but angels, you know, you've heard of that, but angels can take any form that God wants them to take. And so it could be anything. They don't, we don't know what they look like. But they can take on a form, any form that God wants. And so, so we don't understand exactly that. But could you imagine something that appeared in front of you that maybe didn't look real or looked strange? You know, just startling. And I can assure that that's why that first statement comes out. Don't be afraid. Hold up. You know, I mean, it would, it would, it would startle you at, at first, it's, it, even, you know, whatever form they were in. But especially if they weren't in human form. Yeah. What? <laughs> what got going on here? Well, wouldn't that differentiate them from something Satan might send to, to put before you? His, his people wouldn't say that to you. Yeah, they, I'm sure they're, they're prevalent, though. And they take any form, too. All right. Any other questions? Comments. Brother Parker said one time one of his sermons that do not be afraid is in the Bible 365 times. And he said that's interesting because there's one for every day. Hmm. And if you're not a believer, you should be afraid. All right, anybody else? All right, let's close in prayer and we'll finish up. Father God, I just come before you this evening. I thank you for who you are, God, just thanking you for the Christmas season. God, just thanking you for the beginning of our studies this, this month. Uh, 